You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. How you guys doing? Doing all right? I seem sleepy, I'll be honest. Seem a little sleepy, no? You got good coffee, so that can't be it. Anyway. Um, well, we're just going to get right into it. As always, if you're joining us, I want to welcome you. Uh, we're so glad that you would fellowship and worship and get into the Word of God with us and join us on your Sunday morning to do so. Uh, my name is Riz. I'm the pastor here at Reality and just humbled and honored and privileged to do life with you guys in church and um, I'm as blessed as you guys are to meet with God uh, on a weekly basis, and um, so we're going to get right into it. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33, verses 1 through 17 is going to be our text for this morning that we're going to dig into. Uh, as always, if you do not have a Bible, right as you come in either door, there are small tables with Bibles on them. Feel free to grab one, use it for the day as we study our text, or if you do not have one, uh, take it home. It's our gift to you, but I think it's so important to actually crack open, I'm going to bag on the phone for a second, but just crack open like an actual book with paper um, and find out where is Exodus 33 so that hopefully, um, for one, you know that I'm not making this stuff up, and two, you can go back and dig in and read uh, it and the rest of scripture yourself, and you just get used to it. Build some muscle memory into reading your Bible. Um, but if you have a phone today, no problem. I don't want to like read the Bible on your phone, but also get a Bible. Um, but anyway, we, we pick up today in the Exodus story right after God's people have the most miserable failure. Last week, if you were here, we talked all about it, but this. It's pretty much the worst low point of the life of Israel happened in Exodus chapter 32. And even to this day, what happened in Exodus 32 with Israel making and worshiping the golden calf is regarded as the most shameful event in Jewish history to this day. But we're going to jump back in the story because it's not the end of the story. But today, as Moses continues to talk with God about what that event now means for the life of Israel, what consequences, like what's going to happen now in light of their rebellion and their disobedience, their blatant disobedience before uh, their God and their creator, specifically uh, their idolatry and betrayal that we just read about last week. So we pick up. Exodus 33, verses 1 through 17. Read with me, and then we will pray. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments or jewelry. 
For the Lord said, had said to Moses, tell the Israelites you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you or even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments or their jewelry at Mount Horeb. Verse 7. Now Moses used to take a uh, excuse me. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at their entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I might know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from there. Now will anyone know that you are, uh, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Then the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing which you have asked, because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God that speaks. You're the God, a God that, that desires to meet with your people and be with your people and commune with us. And God, we thank you for your word today that vividly reminds us, that illuminates this truth to us today, that you are a God that desires to be present and in the midst of your people and to lead your people. And so God, would you speak to us? God, each of us come into this room with very different lives, with very, very, very different burdens, very different to-do lists or lives. And so God, we thank you that you're a God that knows all those things and all the details of your life and you, you're a God that cares about every one of those details and wants to meet us right where we're at. And whether it be confusion or pain or worry or anxiety or joy, or in the good and the bad, the ugly, you are a God that wants to be with us. So Holy Spirit, have your way, and would you uh, reveal yourself to us? Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So our text today, at first glance, verses one through three, how it starts off, this conversation between Moses and God, seems like it's good news, right? Despite their failure, God is going to take the people 
to the promised land. Wow, we, we failed you, God. We, we rebelled, but you're still giving us the promise, and this is good news. But then we read of a problem. It's actually a major problem. In verse 3, it says that God would not be going with them. I've been with you, right? Remember the whole story. God has been with them every step of the way in, the, in their midst. And now God says, I'll give you the promised land, but I'm not going with you. And so what we read in these first few verses of Exodus 33 is what was so vividly pointed out last week in Exodus 32 that a distance now exists between God's people and himself due to their continued lack of trust and lack of obedience. There's a distance. There's a separation that sin has caused between God and his people. And notice, once again, if you are here last week, God called them the people rather than his own people. This is the inner dialogue that Moses had with God last week when God chose his words carefully and he chose not to call them my people, possessive, personal. This is because of distance. And God goes even further here, and in verse 2, he says, I'll send an angel to guide you, rather than before, about 10 chapters earlier, he always told Israel, my angel would guide my people. There's this distance, there's this separation. Sin has caused a rupture in their relationship. And what Moses once again is doing is he's fighting. He's contending in prayer for God to continue to have mercy and grace despite Israel deserving justice. He's pleading. Moses is pleading with God for that not to happen, what God said he's going to do. I'll spare their lives. They all should have, you know, they all should have died because of what they did. I'll spare their life. He did that last week, but he says there's still tangible consequences to sin, and part of that is you getting everything there, but no me. And Moses is contending and fighting in prayer for that not to happen. And so what happens is in our text today, what it tells us is that God would give them gifts. He'd give them the promised land, but he would not go with them. And to Israel's credit... They respond appropriately, like they are crushed, like they're broken over the fate, like the realization of their sin has really hit rock bottom is what's happening, and they kind of thought they were out of it, and now they're realizing the error of their ways, and they've literally hit, if last week was rock bottom, it's even more now. They're crushed that their sin has cost them the power and the peace and the presence of God, because that's what's happening. That's what's happening here in our story. And when they heard of this bad news that God was not going to go with them, they mourned and they didn't put on their jewelry or their ornaments, it says here. And what that's really showing by removing their ornaments or their jewelry is it's demonstrating like contrition and repentance. 
Like they so badly wanted to be right with God. And so they were leaving their jewelry and possessions to the side. And they were communicating that they were willing to do whatever it take, whatever it took, you know, to, 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 to leave their superficial trappings of the world aside. Like God, we'll, we'll get rid of everything as long as we can get you back. This is what this is symbolically showing. When Israel's not wearing their gold, not their silver, not their jewelry, we're not going to get ourselves ready. God we, God, we want you and we'll do whatever it takes to get you back. This is, this is, in a sense, what Israel is doing. They were willing to lay aside the superficial trappings of the world because they longed for the supernatural glory of God and they're in this tension of thinking that they've lost it. And I think there's some really important key takeaways that we can learn from how Moses and Israel um, deal with the Lord, and specifically how Israel is desperate for God's presence here. And I came across a great outline uh, that I want to go through with us today. It's three points that I think um, are really going to help break down the text. Number one is, we have a need that we cannot overlook. The first six verses of our text today. Secondly, I think we can take away that we have a privilege that we must not neglect. And lastly, is that we have an assignment that we cannot complete. We're going to walk through uh, those three things for our time today. So the first, in the first six verses, which I slightly recapped, Israel is realizing that their greatest need was to have God. Because if you think about it, what God was telling them is actually what a lot of people want, right? God was saying the promised land and all its glory is yours. And what the promised land signified was prosperity and freedom and flourishing. And if you remember where Israel just came from, they came from 430 years of slavery, There was no flourishing, there was no freedom, there was no prosperity. And so the promised land was a stark contrast to what generations of their people lived in. It was the land flowing of milk and honey. It was a land promised to their forefathers. It was everything if you could have hoped and dreamed for, set apart by God. It was everything that uh, a lot of us would want. Like for, right, for much of humanity, if we're honest, we want the benefits of God, but we don't care about having God himself. Right? If we're honest, we want the blessings of God, but not necessarily the blesser. Right? So we want to get, go to the promised land. We want to go to heaven, but it doesn't really matter if God is even there or not. We could even go as far as to say that so many of us, so much of humanity wants this, wants God's stuff, wants a good life, wants prosperity, wants flourishing, wants all these things, but I don't want God. And sometimes... If we're not even careful, we can actually present the gospel like this, right? Pray this prayer, and you can be forgiven, and you can go to heaven when you die. None of that's false, but it's it's incomplete. It's missing the point. And 
I know that because literally that is how I got saved. I got invited. I did not grow up in the church. Middle school. Got invited from a friend of mine to a dramatization, like a play, like a theatrical play, like at a theater. And the name of it was Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. This is the name. Let's try to get me there. It got me there. I didn't even know the name, just my friend told me to go. But it was a dramatization of like, if you die tonight, like a like full-on like car accident, where will you go? Will you go to heaven or not? And are you sure about that? I got saved literally not for God. You could contend like, did you really get saved? But my point is, is I, I prayed the prayer and went forward. And why did I go forward? Why did I want Jesus? Heaven and not hell. Fire insurance. Like, that's what, I, that's what I wanted. I even, at like 13 years old, remember going up to the stage, altar call, praying the prayer, and even telling the person, this is how much I didn't understand what I was doing, so maybe I didn't get saved then, maybe it was later on, is I said, that's cool, good thing I'm going to heaven, but can I not go to church? I don't want to go to church. I don't want to do that. Like, pretty much, I don't want a Christian, I just want heaven. And that... That is, that, that is, unfortunately, that's, well, it's very common. It's very common to how we think and how we present it and how we, how, we, how we view heaven and how we view God and the gospel. And while there are wonderful, amazing benefits of the gospel, like we cannot forget that the greatest gift we receive when we become a Christian is that we get God himself. He's the ultimate treasure. He is what makes heaven heaven. John Piper, if you like him, awesome. He's great. I like him a lot. He's crazy, but awesome. In his book, God the Gospel, he posed this critical question. He said, if you could have heaven with no sickness and with all your friends you've ever had on earth and all the food you've ever liked and all the leisure activities you've ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? And so if we were to answer yes to this, like I will take heaven with all of that, but no Jesus, no God, then we have completely missed out on the point of the gospel and of who God is and why he created us. And we have completely missed that the greatest treasure of greatest value is that we were created to be with God. So essentially, we're missing the point of the gospel because the point of the gospel is to get us to God. And heaven is heaven because God is there and not any other reason right? So, like even like the psalmist would say, Psalm 73, 25, who do I have in heaven but you? Like you are what makes heaven, heaven, God. So the question would be for us, like Israel, is like, do we want the promised land without a personal relationship with God? Because that is what Israel is being presented, do you want everything that life could offer, but you don't get God? To Israel's credit, 
they said no. Like, they said no. Like, no. That's not, that's not the promised land if we don't get God. God. God, you'll give us everything, but if we don't get you, we do not want to go. And I pray that God would do the same in our own hearts, that our own hearts, that God would reveal himself as the true treasure and value, that we would know that he is our greatest need and our greatest want, and that we could not even fathom eternity without him. Amen? Our text moves on, and I believe we see here a privilege that we cannot and must not neglect. Right? Our text goes on and describes that Moses enters the tent of meeting. So I know this can be confusing because it's another tent in the desert because we've been talking about the tabernacle. That's an, also a tent. But this tent of meeting should not be confused with the tabernacle. Tabernacle hasn't actually been built yet. We're going to get to that in a little bit. We just got the instructions to build it. But what, we'll see, what we see here is that both these places, the tabernacle that we've talked a lot about, the tent of meeting right here are both places to meet God. But this tent of meeting is actually like Moses' own private tent to meet God. And this tent, it's, it's important to note where the tent is, it's actually outside the camp. Remember, the tabernacle's in the center of the camp, in the center of everybody. But Moses' tent is outside the, the tent. And for a moment, I just want us to place ourselves in this scene. Right, Moses would leave the camp. He would leave where two and a half million people were doing life in the sand, in the desert. Moses would go off to the tent of meeting and people would stand up. Like everyone would stand up. It was that big a deal. Moses is going to meet with God. Everybody stands up, stops what they're doing, and they would watch Moses, their mediator, go inside that very tent and meet with God. And when he went in the tent, a cloud, the cloud signifying you know, God's presence, would come down. It would hover over the entrance of this tent of meeting. And it tells us in our text that what happened is in that tent is that Moses talked with God. And it says that Moses spoke with God face to face just as a man speaks with his friend. Like, this is so intimate, so amazing, and so incredible. This is like this powerful moment where God is now meeting once, or once again with Moses. And what happens here is that Moses and God are sharing direct communication. This is an intimate relationship. Like Moses and God were friends, just like Jesus said his disciples were in John 15. There was this union, there was this relationship, there was this communion that God had with Moses. And God was showing once again Israel that from, from creation, from the birth of creation, that God had intended us to have intimate relationship with him. And this is really the kindness of God. After their failure, after they did what they did, God is still meeting with Moses. And this, this should, despite Israel's failure and them feeling really down and really broken, this should be a beacon for hope for them. 
wow, God is still around us. He hasn't totally left us. He's still here. He's still meeting with Moses. Maybe there's still hope in this. And while there currently was some real work to do between them and God, God was still there. He was speaking with their leader and their mediator. And as much as was happening, as all of Israel would be standing up and watching, wondering what Moses was doing inside that tent with God, it would once again center Israel and remind them of the desire of God to be with them. His loving kindness was drawing them back to himself. And I, I want us to not just like leave us there in the Old Testament, going, wow, that's really cool that Moses met with God as friends. I, I want us to marvel in the privilege that we share in this very same thing with God today. Like, if you didn't know, we too can meet with God. We can meet with him. We don't have to go somewhere. We don't have to pitch a tent, right? As believers in Jesus Christ, we have immediate access to God the Father through the Holy Spirit. This is incredible. Like if you, if you could go back in time and, and like go, some, go next to an Israelite and be like, hey, just like Moses is talking with God, one day we're all going to be able to do that. They'd be like, you're an idiot. Go do something. Like it's ridiculous. They were so far removed. They were so far separated. They couldn't even fathom that one day through God's sacrificial uh, death upon the cross, through his son, by the power of his spirit, now God's presence literally dwells in us, that because of that, that we now as believers, you and I, can speak directly with the God of the universe. Like we can boldly approach the throne of grace. Like we don't have to, we don't have to do anything. We have to believe be saved and be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 2.18 says, Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. In other words, we are the tent. Like we make the tent everywhere we go because God's presence is in us as a believer. Like we can commune with God. God desires, wants to, is able, can speak directly to us through his word, through his spirit. We too, through prayer and through worship, can talk to the God of the universe that holds the span of the heavens in his hand. We have access 24-7. There's no like, I just went to the DMV this week and took a ticket and like how long that took, honestly. I'm so glad God doesn't hit the ticket system. Anytime, all the time, God's big enough. What do you need, daughter? What do you need, son? Pour out your heart to me. I'm here. I care. I'm listening. I'm with you. More intimate than a friend. More intimate than a lover. This is our God. This is the access that we now have in our God through Christ Jesus. So church... We have to see this as an incredible privilege and a glorious gift, and we have to take full advantage of it. 
Like we have to take full advantage that you have access to God. The God that nothing's impossible for. The God that can turn mourning into dancing. That can restore the years the locusts have eaten. Like that God. God that's for us. He says, I'm just waiting to hear from you. I want to speak. Listen, I'm here. I hope this would encourage us today. I hope that we would see it and not neglect the access that we have to God through the work of Christ upon the cross. Amen? Are you with me? Okay, okay, just checking, just checking. Just wondering. Lastly, in our text today, we have an assignment that we cannot complete. Verses 12 through 16. This is what I mean by that. Israel was desperate for God's presence because without him, they felt like they could not go on. Like in verses 12 and 13, Moses asked God for help in leading the people. And what he said was essentially, God, we don't have the resources to go the way you want us to. We can't do what you're telling us to do if you don't go with us. And Moses asked God, he asked to know God and his ways. He said, please teach me your ways and I will know you. And so Moses once again is pleading with God that we can't do this without you. I know you just told us the promised land's over there. God, we don't want to go and we can't go. We can't go if you don't go. Moses was realizing what Jesus would say later in John 15, that you can do nothing apart from me. This is what Moses is saying. So the result of Moses asking this and pleading with God, God promised to stay. He said, okay, I'm not going to go. And then he said, but then he said this. It's a little funny, actually. In verse 14, he said, my presence will go with you, and I'll give you you rest. And so God's not saying I'll do it for my people. Moses, you've been good to me. We're good. I'll go with you. Moses is like, no, 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 no. Us. Remember your people? You got to go with all of us. This isn't some loophole in the contract here, God. I know what you're doing. Moses, once again, the mediator is beseeching God. God, I need you to come with me. I can't do it without you. And he says, my presence will go with you. I'll give you rest. And the text literally says, my face will go with you. My face will go. God's saying, my face will go with you. What that's meaning is he's referring to the closeness of God's presence. Like, I will not only go with you, I'll be near to you. My face will go with you. You will experience my presence as we go forth. Moses pleaded with God that not only would God go with him, but his people and what Moses did here in verse 16, he's, he pleaded with God to go with them, and he proclaimed that they could not go one step without God. In other words, to paraphrase Moses, Moses was like, God, we're not moving anywhere until you go with us. Like, this is a peaceful protest, God, we're out. 
The promised land's there, but if you're not going, we're not going, and we're going to sit on our hands and our feet, and, and, we're, and, and we're drawing a line in the sand. And this is actually one of my favorite verses and scenarios that I'm reminded to often, because it reminds us that the place we're supposed to live in is a place of desperation, that we on our own can't do anything. We shouldn't do anything. We weren't even designed to. Like, we weren't designed to lead ourselves. I don't know if that's a wake-up call or not. We were designed to follow our God. And what Moses is doing here, and he's doing it on behalf of the people of Israel, too. Two and a half million people he's speaking on behalf. He says, God, your presence, your power, and your peace is so important that unless you go, there is no way you're going, even if we got the whole world. Like, even if we were the most successful, made the most money, had no problems in our life, we won't do it if you don't go with us. Such an important visual, tangible, relatable example for us. Because in our lives... We, too, need God to go with us as well. Like, we, we have to have God's presence in order to live for him and into all that he has for us. And what Moses adds here, I think, is really powerful. He added that God's presence is the very thing that's going to make them distinct in the world. Like, look, at that's, that's a powerful statement. God and his presence being with them is what would mark them from the rest of the world as being different. It's what distinguished Israel. It wasn't their land that distinguished them. They're not even there yet. It wasn't their wealth. They had no money. They were just slaves. It wasn't their culture that distinguished them. That wasn't even fully developed yet. And it wasn't their righteousness that distinguished them because they had just bowed down to a calf. What distinguished Israel from the rest of the world around them was their relationship with God. It was God himself that made them unique. Church, Christians, this is true of us as well. What distinguishes Christians from others is our relationship with God. Literally, the indwelling presence of God in us. That's what separates us. It's not because we live by a certain type of ethics. Oh, well, Christians, you do and don't do that. But that's not what distinguishes us. Also, we are not distinguished or different from the rest of the world because we believe in a different set of morality or morals. It's not even for having a different political view, even though we want to think that way. That's not what distinguishes Christianity and Christians from the rest of the world. What distinguishes us is that we have an intimate, personal relationship with the God of the universe, the one true living God. So what is the takeaway from all this? You know what the takeaway from all of this? We must have God. 
You walk out that door, what was the sermon about? We need God. Have to have him. Can't do anything without him. Can't do it. We, we have to have him. My hope and my prayer, what comes out of today, is that we look at Israel and we say, this is a visual reminder of our desperation that we have to have Jesus lead and take the wheel. Like, he has to do it or else we can't go on. And I would say perhaps the greatest problem with the church today, not only our church, Church Universal, church, the people of God, is the attempt to do the work of God apart from the presence and power of God. That's the problem. We think we can do it. We try to cultivate some kind of experience. We try to do some task on our own strength and our own timing on our own accord. And, and guys, in order to see God truly move in the world, in Hawaii, on Oahu, fill in the blank, we're on this island you call home. In order to see God move, we need to be living in and operating out of the presence and power of God. Like, we, we need to stop relying on, on methods and money or marketing which all that can be good things, but rather we need to trust and rely in God's mighty presence to live out what God is calling us into. Like we're, we're so good at relying on our own strength. Like we're really good at it to a, to a huge fault. And what happens is we're so good at like pulling our bootstraps up and just trying harder and working harder that we fail to be desperate and dependent upon Christ. And we, myself hugely included, we need to learn to say, Lord, I do not want to go another step without you. I don't want to do it. And so... Let's look at our lives. Like, what's, what's going on with your life right now? It's a rhetorical question. You don't have to yell at what's going on. What's going on with your life? So, like, what decisions are you needing to make? We all have tons of decisions in our life. What's going on? Are you choosing, like, where to put your kid, what job to take? Are you thinking about, like, moving off island or not? Figuring out what to do with that relationship? Like, what's happening in your family? What life stage are you in? I want, I, want to, I want to speak to you right now that God sees you and he cares for you. Like where you're at in all of it. He sees you, he cares about you, and he wants to guide you and lead you and care for you. Like he desires to be where you're at. We got a lot of teachers in here? Tons of teachers. Like he cares about like how you're teaching and your lesson plan and your kids and the relationship you have to your other teachers. Like God wants to be in that with you. But are you willing to say, God, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to do like Monday morning without you. Maybe we all cry out that way on Monday morning. I don't know. A lot of you guys in here in healthcare, it's a crazy field to be in. Are we crying out? God, I don't want to do today without you. I don't want to care for this patient. I don't want to go into this next room or fill out that chart without you. Because God, like, 
I think, sometimes I think we think God doesn't care about that stuff. That's just like my job, and that's just my thing I have to do, and then God's like over here sometime. God's like, I'm in this with you. Can you let me lead? I, I want to lead you in this. I want to be with you. I care about that hard email that you have to write this week. Am I speaking to anybody here? I hope you can see that like Israel, Israel's life is Israel's life. But your life is your life and God so cares about it. And he doesn't want you to make that decision without him. Like some of you are like thinking about making some crazy decisions. It's fine. That's fine. But can you please be like Moses and say, God, unless you go, I don't want to go. I understand. Oh, but you don't understand. I understand. I understand. God just needs to be in it with you. He's bigger than all the details that you think I don't know about. God knows about them all. Church, are we seeking him in all this stuff? Like, are we saying, God, I don't want to do any of this without you? Or better yet, I can't do this, and I won't do it if you're not with me. Like, I literally won't do it unless you come through, God. What distinguishes us from others, right, is the belief in Christ that God's with us. God is with you. Like, in the junk, in the hardship. God is with you, and all he desires is for you to come and to speak with him and listen just as a friend, just like Moses. So church, let's do that. Let's cultivate a life of intimacy with our Lord, depending on his presence. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you that you love us. And you literally love every, every minute of our day and all that we have to deal with. Like you're not God on Sundays and then not our God Monday through Saturday. You are the God that is control of all things. You know, you know what's going on in our marriages. You know what's going on with our parenting. You know where we're at in our singleness. And you so deeply care that we would just come to you with it all so that you can meet us and minister and love and lead us through it all. So God, would you do that now in this time of worship? We want to be open and vulnerable and just willing to like lay ourselves before you and say, God, I can't do this anymore. I, I need you. I don't, want to, I don't want to do Monday or Tuesday or like, I don't want to get through that rest of the year, the rest of my life without you unless you go first, unless you're with me. God, I pray that you would even change the way we make decisions and think about our life, that we would be uh, desperately concerned with God. What do you have? What do you want? Give us ears to hear your voice through your word, through your spirit. Help us cultivate uh, a life of prayer and speaking with you. We just pray.
pray that you'd start that now in our time of worship, that you would meet with us and that we would meet with you. We would commune with you just as Moses did, as friends.